I wish people knew what a huge difference their small monetary contribution makes. There's a lot of ways to support charity work. We ask people to donate, to join our monthly giving program, which is called The Spring, and to donate $40 a month if they can afford it. And $40 helps one person. And at the end of the year, then you've helped 12 people get access to clean water. So it's a sacrifice for some people, but you think about what $40 represents to a family that's living on a dollar a day. I mean, it's like more than a month's worth of income, right? It's massive. And when you see the difference that it makes out there to one person, it's such a no-brainer. It's such a value proposition. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that create one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. But we're changing that. We are shining a light on innovators around the world who are tackling some of the world's most vexing problems. And still, they think the future is bright. We need to know what they know. We need to know how they approach obstacles and setbacks, and we can incorporate the same kind of optimism and skills for progress that they are mastering every day in their hard work on behalf of us all. Today, we're going to interview a wonderful innovator. And I have to say that Christopher Gorder is the kind of person whose lifespan, the span of time, seems to make so much sense with where he's at and what he's doing for our shared future now. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of The Goodness Exchange. And at this global website, we are there to prove that it's still an amazing world and to help you find your role in it. And I think today, for so many ways, Christoph Gorder is going to help us find both the joy in what's happening in the world and perhaps our way to help out. So Christoph, thank you for joining the Goodness Exchange. It's great to be here, Linda. Great. You know, I've got to tell you a little bit about Christoph's life and his work so we can all appreciate how amazing it is to have him here. Christoph joined an organization called Charity Water, and that's primarily what we're going to talk about today is this, this incredible movement, the incredible work of this nonprofit. Charity Water, as an organization, has raised over $700 million to create avenues for a better life through water. Water turns out to be one of the one of the scarce resources on this planet that's attached to climate change and all kinds of other social improvements that we need to all think about right now. Christoph oversees the technology innovations for Charity Water. I, what I love about his work is that he's got this 100,000-foot look on what they're doing with technology, the kind of transparency that they have, which we all care about so much th- these days, and the fact that 100% of the money that you and I would contribute to Cherry Water goes to work in the field to improve people's lives when it comes to water scarcity. So I don't know, I could go on and on about Christopher's background. He grew up in Central Africa and Christoph was a part of a growing movement for the last 15 years in disaster relief. So he comes to Charity Water in 2012 with a background that is so full of empathy and understanding of the complexity of this problem that, well, we just got to dive into his story and how he thinks the way he thinks and how we can help. So welcome, Christoph. It's great to be here and I'm, I'm really happy to chat with you a little bit. Well, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about very early on in our conversation, even just today, is this connection between climate change and 
the water scarcity in this world. And you put it in the most the most important way for me. Talk to us about how our concerns about climate change relate to water and then how that relates to the opportunity for us all to find some way to contribute by helping charity water. Sure. Climate change is something that we are all facing and wherever you live in the world, the climate around us is changing. And when you think about climate change, we don't often think about it this way, but really climate change, it's all about water. It's the change in how water is in on our planet, in our atmosphere. It is too much water in some places, too little water in other places. And so actually, as the planet warms, the change that we're experiencing is really a change in the hydrology of the globe. And that's what we're really seeing. And so, you know, you see this in big weather changes and big patterns. Of course, a lot needs to be done to to mitigate this, to reduce carbon emissions, to extract carbon from the atmosphere. And people are really catching on to this. And I see a lot of progress around the world. But for many of the world's poorest people, who are the people that we serve, living in very underdeveloped countries, they are the biggest victims of climate change. So you imagine how climate change affects, you know, you and I living in the United States, for example, where we have the benefits of pretty good infrastructure, of insurance, of the government that, you know, FEMA will bail us out. And then you think about living as a subsistence farmer, uh, relying entirely on the rain for your crops. And the, the, you know, the, the, the predictability of the rain to feed the crops that, that you're going to use to feed your family. And there's no safety net out there. So the, the most vulnerable people in the world are truly, truly affected by climate change in ways that you and I can't even imagine. And where clean water plays a critical role in this is all of us have to adapt to a changing climate and a changing planet. All of us do, regardless of where you live. But if you are a poor subsistence farmer living in sub-Saharan Africa, if you have a, a sustainable access to clean and safe drinking water, that is going to really help your resilience in this new in this new world. So climate change is very, very much about water at a, at a global level, physics and climate climatology level, but also in terms of survival, it's going to be uh, key and foundational. Well, I love the way you simplified it, where it's really either it's happening or we adapt to it. And it's really the combination of both. And charity water really affects the world and, and so many people on the adaptation end of things, right? That's right. I mean, I think, you know, the climate is getting warmer and, and it is it is changing. So we're, we all are going to ha- have to adapt. Now, um, what we can do to reverse it or, or slow the change, there's a lot of debates out there. And really, that falls to the developing economies. That's where the, you know, that's where the emissions are coming from. Most of the people we're helping have very little very little carbon emissions. You know, their houses aren't heated, their houses aren't cooled, they're not driving cars, they're not eating a lot of beef, you know, et cetera. So their role in contributing to this is very, very small, but the impact on them is very, very high. So we got into this business of providing access to clean water because water is so pivotal for health and development and allowing children to go to school. And, you know, just you cannot imagine human development without access to clean water. But now it's, you know, it's even more acute because now it's a question of survival and and as as these places that we're helping change. Um, so it becomes more and more important. And our work has always been urgent, but it seems more urgent today. Yeah, you know, if I had to pick a theme for our conversation today, it's something you said in one of our earliest chats is that the great thing about this problem is that we know how to solve it. We do. We don't know quite, we're not quite there with solving climate change, but this aspect of adapting to it, we got this. And I, I want you to give us a little history on charity water and and why there's hope there. 
Yeah, I mean, it is a rewarding area to work in because because we do know how to solve it. And the solution is so tangible. And you can see such a dramatic difference between the before and the after of providing access to clean water. You know, unlike many of the world's problems, we're surrounded with problems big and small around us, from climate change down to my neighbor doesn't rake his lawn and his, lo- his leaves blow on- onto my lawn that we can't, you know, there isn't an easy solution to it. And these things are all around us. But access to clean water, we've actually known how to do this for hundreds of years. You know, we started installing, I mean, the Romans had clean water systems. And then in the 1920s, we started to discover chlorination, which really was the big breakthrough to, you know, wa- you know safe water in cities. Because before that, you know, if you look at Victorian England, for example, you know, the, the cholera outbreaks and uh, tuberculosis and lack of hygiene, all this was tied to either lack of access of water or, or dirty water itself, you know. So those conditions, unfortunately, that are in the history book, for us are still what people are living today. There are over 700, nearly 800 million people around the world who do not have access to clean water. And they are still living the kind of circumstances that you read about in Charles Dickens, you know, of horrible disease and, and suffering as a result of not having access to this. But we can change that. We know how to change that. And we've changed that for millions of people. And, you know, what's slowing us down is the resources, really. There's no doubt we, we could get everybody clean water on the planet if we had the resources to do that. All right. So I'm sure you have so many stories of big wins for small communities, large communities, when it just comes to this way of life before like BW and AW. Tell us some stories from the field. Well, I mean, when you go into a community that doesn't have access to clean water, it is very clear. The first thing you see, the most visible thing you see is just people's personal hygiene. There's just not enough water to bathe and, and wash your clothes and keep your keep your home and, and, and whatnot clean. It's a huge, huge struggle. And then as you're there a little bit more, you realize people are sick at a much more much higher rate than, than they should be, which means they're not able to work. They're not able to work on their farms. They're going to the clinic and spending money that they don't have on medicines. And it's this kind of revolving door of, of sickness and, and health. And then you look a little bit more and you see that what's happening with particularly the young girls is that it's their role traditionally to go and fetch the water. And so they're walking for hours every day, carrying 40 pounds on their back of a jerry can of water, and they're not going to school and they are destined and sentenced to a life as almost a beast of burden, which is just a horrifying situation. And you see this playing out in thousands of communities around the world. When people get access to clean water, it is like the first building block to progress. It is such a liberating factor. The first thing people will say when you say, how's your life changed? Invariably, they'll say, I'm cleaner. My kids are cleaner because that's the thing that people really notice, right? They're like, oh, wow, I can take a bath every day. Whereas before I couldn't. And then you realize that the health is also, you know, we look at statistics in local clinics and see those, the incidence of childhood diarrhea, for example, which is just an absolute killer for kids under two. We see those those go significantly down. So once people then have time back, they're not spending extra money on getting sick, their daughters are going to school. You think about the ripple effect of all of those things. So when academics have studied this, what they discover is that for every dollar you invest in clean water and sanitation, it has a return of four to twelve dollars in economic benefit for the communities that you're affecting. So, I mean, if you invest a dollar and you got four to twelve dollars back on your stock picks or your uh, Bitcoin or whatever you buy, you'd be very, you know, your life would change. And so it does change life for, for people around the world. And it's inspiring. It's an amazing thing to be out there. It's a it's a great privilege that I have in my job that I get to be out there in the front lines and, and see this miracle happen many times. 
You know, one of the things that we who are privileged, so privileged in places that have abundant water, struggle with is is oversimplifying the problem. Talk to us about the root causes of the supply chain of the kind of struggle that people have without water, without clean water. Yeah, I mean, the world is a vast and diverse place and people's conditions are very, very different. And so when we work in a particular area, the solutions always need to be local. The deserts of Western India are very different than the jungles of the Central African Republic are very different than the high plateaus in, in, in Ethiopia. The hydrogeology is different. The cultures are different. The political structures, the government systems are different. And if you try to think of it as, you know, one size fits all, it, it just doesn't work. And so part of the I would say the greatest part of our success has been to rely on local experts, people from the countries we are working in, to really lead the charge in terms of designing the solutions and implementing the solutions. And so the work that Charity Water is involved in in Cambodia looks very, very different than the work that we're involved in in Rwanda or in Niger. And that's because the local experts are really designing it. And that way, you really build the solution that's going to be right in that in that context, and you have you have something that's really going to be sustainable and make make a lasting impact. And that that kind of you know true genuine partnership. We you know people use the word partnership in a lot of different ways. <laughs> it, it it doesn't always mean like true partnership, but in in like a true venture, like you know in a marriage, like we're in this together. We both bring different strengths. We has has brought us. I think enormous success in terms of how we've been able to help people and to be really clear about the outcomes that we want. So even though all of these different interventions might look very different, have different cost structures, different pieces, different technologies, ultimately we measure our success on what comes out the other end, which is how many lives are directly benefited with access to clean water. So that is our North Star. That is our one metric that we, at the end of the year, that's the one thing that matters to us. Like if we were a for-profit company, it would be like, okay, what's our stock price? Or what was our profit this year? We've got one metric, just like everybody else. And that that helps focus you on what's really important. It's 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 touching other people's lives. Yeah, you know, part of your job is to make sure the money goes to the right place, right? That's that I'm sure that's got a lot more complex than <laughs> us real life. Yeah, it's it's uh like I said, an enormous privilege. So my role my role at the organization is primarily to look after our work in the field. So as a nonprofit, you know, we we have sort of two core functions. We have uh, we have one function which is about getting the word out and 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 raising funds, and then we put those those funds to work and and I work on the latter. So my day is mostly spent about what happens in the field. Are we uh, working in, you know, are we working in Nepal or are we working in Malawi? Are we, you know, what's going well and what's going, what, what, what has some challenges? And we run into all sorts of, all sorts of challenges out there. So, you know, we have at any given time, thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, of small projects being built at any given time. You've got wars that happen. You have massive currency devaluations. You have supply chain issues. You have the normal operational issues of, you know, organizations having tough times. You know, you have all this going on because at the end of the day, it's, it's very, it's very operational and it's, it's, it's infrastructure, right? It's, we're, we're actually building something in thousands and thousands of locations. So how do you, how do you do that in the right way with the right, 
controls in place is kind of what I, I've spent a career learning. I'm still learning a lot. <laughs> I still get humbled on a regular basis. <laughs> as soon as I feel a little bit comfortable, I, I, I get put, you know, knocked down a peg, but it, it is, it is, uh, it's an amazing system we built. It's a real machine that relies on local experts and, you know, brings state-of-the-art technology into play and really rigorous accountability and project management. And that's, that's rare to find at this scale. It is. And I have to say that even before I did what I do now, I, I had heard of Cherry Water and your reputation for transparency and doing the right thing and trustworthiness is just gigantic. And that's why I wanted to do this interview, Christoph, because I just think there's very little that we can contribute to in the lives of others so far away in the world as easily as we can to Charity Water and have this what we do matters. We're doing what we can do. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a solution that actually works. In our case, it's, it's something that's very tangible. And so there's a lot of needs in the world. I always tell people like, you know, you have to follow where your heart is. And the most important thing is you get involved and you start helping. So if you help in your local community, you know, awesome. If you support us and we are able to give people clean water, great. If you are contributing to an organization that's helping uh, refugees from Ukraine, great. But but just do something, you know. So we are one of many, many options. What's special about us is just, I think, our transparency. We, we raise all of our operating expenses. So my salary, our trips to the field, the audits, the, you know, the, 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 the credit card fees on your donations, all of this is raised separately from a separate group of donors who specifically opt in and say, we want to pay for the overhead. We want to pay for the, the stuff that most other people don't want to pay for. So there's about, it's about 130 families that specifically opt in to, to do that. And so that, that really allows people to, to see how their money is making an impact because hundred percent of it goes to the field. Because when we started the organization, you know, our founder, Scott Harrison, started about 15 years ago. I'm in my 10th year. So I joined him pretty early on. And Scott was very clear at the beginning. He felt like, you know, one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge that he was going to face in terms of helping people get people access to clean water was not like a hydrogeological one of finding where the water was. It wasn't, you know, one of like, oh, you know, security and corruption or, you know, operational issues in the field. It was actually like donors didn't people didn't trust charities. So if you look at the stats, like 40, I read a study, 42% of Americans don't trust charities and 75% of Americans believe that charities spend their money poorly or very poorly. Okay. So if my ability to accomplish my mission of helping people get access to clean water depends on getting people to trust me with their money, I first need to address that. And so we've tried really hard since the very beginning through a number of different ways by creating the 100% model, by mapping every single project on Google Maps. Anybody can get on a plane and go out there and see any of them and hold us accountable for them and make sure that they're built. Like things like that have been really important for us because that is a huge barrier for us to be able to help people get access to clean water. So it makes us very unique. It's not easy. I don't think I'd recommend it to everybody. We've worked really hard at it. It continues to be a challenge. Uh, we work really hard every day, but it, it is a unique way uh, for people to get involved. And I would say one of the things about a global problem like this, when I say, oh, there's 800 million people who don't have access to clean water, this is an overwhelming number. It's an overwhelming number for me. And we're a big organization, but the way I think about it is it's one person at a time. It's really one person at a time. And if I can think of these people as like my neighbors. So I have like two houses on one house on either side of me. There's like four people who live over there. There's four people who live over there. And it costs me about $40 to give one person access to clean water. So for $160, I could give a family like that one clean water and really like just radically transform their lives. Would I do that? 
hundred percent. So I think getting your mind in that and we can do that. And collectively, the power of collective action starts to turn those two houses next to mine into millions of houses. And so thinking about it in a very concrete way is helpful and every little bit helps. There's so much in all the topics you just touched on. That is how we get our head around the sense of overwhelm. Like I can't, you know, a lot of people, we, we get this sense that we need to make a touchdown. And really, life is a game of inches and how we help our neighbors can be like that too. So that's another thing I love about Charity Water. You guys have a way of breaking it down right from your transparency issue to exactly how you put it in these terms on the website. And I, I do like having a few problems in this world that we know how to solve. <laughs> I, I know. The other ones are such a headache, right? I know. I know. So we got to celebrate those and then move on to the harder things. I did want to mention that we wrote an article about your founder at the Goodness Exchange. It's If people just put Charity Water in the search box at the Goodness Exchange, they're going to find a crazy good article. Um, it's titled Socialite to Social Innovator, Charity Water Brings Clean Water to the World. So if people want to know more about that story, it's a, quite a fabulous story. We've got so much to talk about. We're going to keep on plowing through. I want you to, because you've mentioned it, I want you to talk to us about the problem of clean water in Ukraine. As we record this episode, people should know that the, the war in Ukraine is about two weeks old now. And we're thinking about the hardships there and we're seeing it on the news. What's the deal with water in Ukraine, do you think, Christoph? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, when you look at the just the heartbreaking reports that are coming out as society is just under attack there and breaking down, you know, you see you see everything falling apart and the water systems are, are one of those and they will be one of those. The water systems tend to be some of the more resilient systems because, you know, their pipes underground and like there are, you know, it's a gravity system. And so unlike the electrical grid, which can get knocked out quite easily, the water systems too, do tend to, to be some of the later systems to go. But I think that, you know, you're going to start to see that, see that that be more and more of an issue. You know, the two thirds of people in the Ukraine live in urban environments. And so, you know, keeping those city water systems going is going to be particularly challenging. It's a heartbreaking situation, you know, to imagine 3 million people, I think, have left the country already as refugees, you know, fled the country. And it seems like it's not going to stop anytime soon. I came to Charity Water about 10 years ago. And before that, I spent 15 years working in disaster response. And we worked in a lot of wars and refugee situations, helping people. I spent a lot of time in Kosovo when, when that happened. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. One of the things that I, that was, I guess, shocking to me was I worked in natural disasters and in, in man-made disasters and wars. And in natural disasters, what was crazy was just how powerful the earth is. Like in an earthquake or a hurricane, you cannot believe just the power of it, like just breaking mountains apart, you know, and, but psychologically it affects people a little bit less because people just, it's, it's an act of God. It's nobody's fault. You can sort of get around it. When it comes to wars, the psychological terror that people go through in this and the anger and fear and resentment is, is scarring in a way that is completely different level of trauma than in, than in natural disasters. So having been on the front lines in, in Kosovo, which, you know, bring today's situation brings back so many memories for me of, of being there and seeing families very much like these families fleeing for their lives. And it's just a, it's just a horrifying situation and that this happens around the world. It's happening in Northern Ethiopia right now. It's happening in, you know, it's happening in Myanmar. It's getting a lot of press right now. It's a huge situation, but unfortunately it's not, it's not new. Well, and the reason why I asked is because the world of doing what you can do is all about your perspective. It's so easy to just be paralyzed by the huge 
number of problems that there are and then not do anything. But the way that people's lives are working in Ukraine right now is is even still better than the people that you work with every single day who never had water, who who won't still have for a while. Tell us some stories from from that that where you learn from locals because I think that may be something good to come out of this world that we're living in now where we can communicate about who needs what and the disasters that are going on is also there's a level of cleverness and Mm -hmm. collaboration that happens. Have you found that when you Oh, 100%. So it would be a fallacy to think of the people that we're helping as being passive or or just sitting there waiting to be helped. Mm -hmm. They're active participants in what we do and they're active contributors. They will contribute a lot of the raw materials, the sand, the the stones for the wall around the water system community will get together and they'll do the trench they'll dig the trenching for pipes i mean there's a big contribution from the community and and from the local government they'll build the local government or the the local community will build the roads we had such an inspiring story that i came across once in in malawi i was there visiting a community and they said oh there's we want to take you to this other community but we can't drive there because there's a big ravine and so we we kind of hiked down the ravine and up the other side and got in this community and they said you know we we know you guys have been working in this area and all the other villages around us have, have gotten clean water, but, but they can't get the drilling rig through this ravine to come over and help us. So we've decided to build a road and they spent after, so this was before they built the road. And then they spent two or three months as a community. Everybody contributed. Everybody in the community put in some hours and brought some stones and whatnot. They built like a big road through the, through the ravine and the rigs were able to come in and drill the well and and they got they got clean water in this village. So people take, you know, they do take their with a little bit of empowerment, they do take their futures into their own hands and and really step up and uh, and help us. Again, we are relying on local experts to design and build all of these things. There's a lot of local contribution of of resources into it. So we're not doing it by ourselves and local ownership is just so key to long-term sustainability. Like if people don't buy into it, and they'll feel like there's ownership, it's never going to work. So you can build a piece of infrastructure, but it's the people who own it and manage it and take care of it who are going to bring it alive and make sure it helps for 10, 15, 20 years, which is what it's designed to do. So the favorite part of my job, uh, my favorite part of my job is working with my, you know, with our local partners. They're just, they're awesome. They're so, I mean, we have, we have about 15 or 1600 people around the world who whose salaries are paid for through Charity Waters work. You know, so we're creating jobs around the world and they're just, I mean, they're just such talented people. I just feel so lucky to be on their on their team. We exist to empower them, and uh, they're leading the charge. It's 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 just it's so helpful. It's so awesome to be to be to have the opportunity to support them. Do you have any great stories of when you thought it ought to be one way, and a local informed or improved your way of thinking about it? Like I imagine that you, it's easy to go in and think it think it ought to go this way, and there's some underlying issue that needs to be solved first or some complexity that adds to it that you never imagined? I mean, it happens all the time. And what you, what you need to train yourself to do is to listen to it and look out for your own your own biases, right? And so it's also, you know, we as the, you know, we're bringing a lot of resources to play. And so we just need to be very careful that there is a, there's an asymmetry of power there. And so people will be overly respectful and they'll say, oh, yes, yes, you know, out of a great respect because we're, we're bringing something so important to the table that, that even if your idea is bad, they might say, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds great. So you just need to be really careful. I was in Ethiopia once and <laughs> this is such a good lesson for me. We were trying to work on a sustainability project. So we had thousands of wells up in the north and we set up a maintenance program 
of uh, trained mobile mechanics to go around and, you know, you know, fix wells and service wells. And then I said, guys, you know, I got this great idea. Why don't we put a toll-free number? We'll put a little sticker on every single well with a toll-free number that says, if you have any problems with this well, call the toll-free number and we'll, we'll put somebody at the office and, you know, it'll just, it'll, 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 it'll really help the communities. So I go back six months later to check in on how it's working and it's not working at all. And I said, what? <laughs> What, what happened? And they said, oh, okay, well, you know, we put an answering machine on it on the phone, you know, so we could take the calls. But the local farmers, when they would call in, had never really talked to a robot before. So culturally, if you call somebody, hello, how are you? How's your family? How's your farm? How's the crop looking this year? How are your cows? How's everything? Oh, and by the way, I need some help with my well. You know, like culturally, you're not doing what, you know, you and I might do, which is like, hi, call me back. So that was a big barrier. And then, you know, for the ones that actually left their phone numbers, then you say, okay, well, let's call them back because we need a little bit more information or where's your village. But when you call them back, they don't have their phones on because the farmers don't have electricity and they turn their phones off when they're not using them because they can only charge them when they go into town for the market. And so it was this assumption on my, you know, I was bringing this, like what I thought was just a completely simple, like customer service idea from, from my world, but it required all of these other things that, that either culturally or logistically weren't there. And we ultimately retooled the program and it was, it was okay. And went into like a, a different mode of proactive calling. So we've got somebody in the office who's like calling down a call list. And if you can't get him, I'll call him tomorrow, I'll call him tomorrow, and, you know, and just covering thousands and thousands of wells. So much more effective and much more culturally appropriate. But, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was such a good attempt. I mean, we put, we put toll-free numbers on thousands of locations and it just, it was just a bust. So this is so much a part of the scenario whenever we try and help others. I had a thought leader that I was interviewing suggest that the very first thing we need to do is really as much as we can live in, in somebody else's shoes before we start making grand solutions. And I just know that you guys have come so far. When we come back, we're going to take a break, but we come, come back. We're going to talk about this great quote that you said to me on our first conversation. You said, it's like a journey. You look ahead and you feel like you've got so far to go, but we take the time, when we take the time to turn around and see where we've been, that's where all the promise comes from. So true. So true. So let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about this in, in the context of so many things. Dr. Linda here. If you are hoping the world is a lot better than what we see on the news and social media, and if you've been overwhelmed by the misery and negativity coming from the screens in your life, I've got a wonderful connection for you. What I've learned after almost a decade of curating the internet for insight and innovation is that there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And that's what led me to create this podcast. And then I co-founded the Goodness Exchange. The Goodness Exchange is an amazing place on the internet now where you can enjoy unlimited access to hundreds of articles that give you a more complete, positive perspective about the state of the world. You can listen to exclusive bonus content from this podcast with our guests who are knee-deep in solving some of the world's most vexing problems, and yet they still think the future is bright. We need to know what they know. And at the Goodness Exchange, you can explore a feed of exclusively good news and recommended other kinds of content created by the Goodness Exchange community. No one with good ideas 
and good intentions need feel alone again. You are right to hold out hope for humanity. Millions of people are out there creating a better world, and we have created a gathering place for all that wonder. Who knows what's possible now that there's a place on the internet created to bring out our best impulses and our collective genius. To explore the home for goodness on the internet, visit goodness-exchange.com backslash membership. Thanks. So we're back. Thank you so much for listening in on this terrific conversation I'm having with Christoph Gorder. Christoph is the brains behind the transparency and the spending of money and the innovation involved with Charity Water. Charity Water, as you may know, is one of the largest groups contributing to water scarcity around the world for people. They've raised over $700 million and applied it to the lives of, where are we at, Christoph? 15, over 15 million people. 15 million people. Imagine that, having a life where you had no access to clean water, and 15 million people's lives are better for the work that you and your team are doing, Christoph. That is just, it's just mind-boggling. It's been a privilege for us. We we are kind of in the middle between a community of just amazing, generous people who make it all happen and then amazingly talented and dedicated and hardworking local experts in all the countries where we work who are who are building these these life-changing projects. And Charity Water kind of sits in the middle as the conduit and the guide between all of these people who know how to help and all these people who want to help and kind of make all of the machinery work. So we try to stand behind the real heroes who are who are out there, who are the, the generous people and the and and the heroes out in the field building the projects. This is at, at the core, what you're doing. You're that bridge between people like me who want to help and people at the local level who, if they had the resources, could do amazing things in their community. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our model is all built on on partnership. It was, you know, I think Scott, who's our founder, he spent his stories, he spent a couple of years as a volunteer in West Africa and came back just so inspired by all the good work that was happening out there and realize that you know so much good work is happening out there but but nobody knows about it nobody's hearing about it these 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 organizations are so dedicated to the work on the ground nobody was telling their story and so those of us who want to help didn't know where they were and so he came back with this idea his you know he'd been a he'd been a promoter in his pr- previous life and you know was really good at at uh, kind of telling the story and you know getting people excited about about providing access to clean water so it's kind of in our founding story is like hey there's there's this there's so much more good work out there happening than any than any of us ever knew about and and you know if we could if we could supercharge them with more funding they could help so many more people and so that's kind of why we you know that's kind of why we exist and and we've we've tried really hard for 15 years to 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 build the platform to make that all possible you know that's one of the things i've noticed about all the articles we've written at the goodness exchange about organizations like yours that are fundamentally changing the future for so many is that there's this really the best organizations figure out a way to connect ordinary people to some way to do what they can do. And as we've talked about, it can seem too big. So let's dive into this thing that you you mentioned, this notion that, and it relates to climate change and it relates to some communities with climate change are going to have too much water. Some are going to have too little. This It's like a journey, you said. You look ahead and you've got so far to go, but we can take time to turn around and look where we've come 
And that's where the real promise lays. So talk to us. Do you have a good story from from this perspective? Yeah. I mean, you know, looking backwards, you know, a billion people in the world have gotten access to clean water in the last 20 years. A billion. I mean, it is, there's a lot of people who've gotten access to clean water. Now, most of those are in economies that have developed really quickly, like China and India, Brazil. Like there's, there's been huge progress there. And actually the places that we work, Sub-Saharan Africa and parts of Southeast Asia are really lagging behind. So you look back and you're like, oh, wow, there's like, there's huge progress made by, you know, by governments and international organizations. And then just people getting, you know, people, people whose lives improving because the economies around them are, are improving. So at this point, you know, we are down to the last 10% of human beings on the planet who don't have access to clean water. So we've gotten 90% of the people who have clean water. Like, that's amazing. That is amazing. So that that's what it looks like to me when I look back. I'm like, okay, well, this is totally doable. Now, the last 10%, you know, the last mile is always the hardest one, right? There's a reason why this particular set of people, you know, haven't got, gotten access to clean water. They tend to be in very poor countries. They tend to be in very remote areas, very low population density. Um, so they're really hard to get to. It's really expensive. And as we move, as we make more and more progress, the, the sort of the, the irony is it gets more and more expensive, right? So you start working in a particular, we start working in a particular area and the projects are all in communities near the road. It's very easy to move the drilling rig up and down and, and it doesn't take a lot of time. Then you knock those out, then you're moving further out and further out and further out. And then all of a sudden it's taking you two days to take the drilling rig out, you know, they drill and then two days to come back. And so, you know, it, it, as we get to that, last mile, the last hundred yards, the last yard, it's going to get more and more challenging around the world. But just think about all the progress that we've made. And it can be tough. It can be tough to working in Africa can be can be tough from a, you know, just the level of suffering is just heartbreaking. You know, the level of child mortality, the injustices that happen in, in many of these places is really, really tough. But if you look at the trends, man, we're moving in the right direction. Like child mortality is way down from where it was 40 years ago. Income levels are way up from where they were, you know, 40 years ago. They are still a fraction of what they are in the United States. So, you know, we, we, we have a long ways to go, but, but the trend is, the trend is good. So I think, you know, in my case, I don't know if you could, how you'd stay in my business if, uh, if you weren't optimistic. And so I'm generally very optimistic. We've tried to put a team together that's very optimistic and at the same time, we put a team together that's very experienced. So I've been doing this for 25 years. And it's it's hard to find people in my line of work who are optimistic and experienced. Most of the experienced people become very cynical. <laughs> and most of the optimistic people are, are very you know, naive about, about what's going on. And so kind of finding that, that small tribe of people who really believe in a hopeful future, but at the same time are going in eyes wide open to make that future is a little bit of the secret sauce that I think we've, we've, we've tried to bring, bring to it. Like we're going to solve this. Like we are going to give everybody access to clean water in the world. Like it's going to happen. It's just a question of how fast it happens. So let's, let's go fast. I love that. I want you to share something with us that I think would just be personally useful for people. Right now, I sense the 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 sense of overwhelm for people, especially, I mean, the, the war in Ukraine just tipped people that were already on the edge over. How does somebody like you, who's seen what you've seen, who's done what you've done, do you have any little like personal coping techniques that get you to put one foot in front of the other after you've, yeah. you've 
People are very different and people process things and internalize things very, very differently. So that makes us all have different gifts and, and be different, be affected differently for, for different kind in different kinds of of stressful situations. In my case, like my genetic background is Scandinavian. So I'm very unemotive and, and, and very sort of even keeled, right? I'm joking, but, but I, I do have the ability to compartmentalize and focus very, very hard on the objectives that I'm trying to accomplish in, you know, in very stressful and very complex situations. So that made me really good at emergency response because I could go in and, and really focus on it. And, uh, you know, I think about it, the analogy would be, you know, an emergency room doctor who spends their life, their, you know, their their entire day in an environment, which is they're around people who are having the worst day of their lives, right? And they are, they need to be focused on their job to save their patients and alleviate, you know, as much pain and suffering as they can immediately. And so they need to be quite clinical about it. I think you need to be careful because you need to, you need to also emote and understand, you know, the, the, the fellow human experience. So I think the best doctors that you see are able to turn it on and off and, 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 and stay, stay human and not just clinical about it. Talking to my own kids about, you know, tough situations that, that you see, uh, you know, like Ukraine, for example, it's kind of trite, but there's a quote from uh, Mr. Rogers that I think about a lot. And he did this thing. It might've been after 9-11 where he was talking to the kids and he said, you know, when, when you see something terrible, terrible happening, always look for the helpers. You'll always see in that scenario. And if you think about the pictures that you see from the Ukraine, there's always somebody around like just helping them. And those are the people who are making the world a better place. So we tend to focus on the victim uh, as we should, but right next to the victim is somebody who's helping to pick them up, putting them on a stretcher, whatever. And so I think I focus a lot on what I can do and we can do a lot. It's, it's, there's, there's, there's a lot in our control to, to make the world a better place. I love that sentiment. That is so true. Look for the helpers. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's They're there. So I mean, you think about every photo you've seen in the last two weeks and think back and you, you know, you first, you first look for like, oh my goodness, this is like, look at this horrible thing that's happening. And then, and then around them, there's, there's all sorts of um, people, you know, risking their lives and uh, to, to help Thank for you. no other reason than just like the goodness of their humanity. Like they don't need to do that. They can run away. But those people have stood up and said, like, I want to make a difference. And you don't have to be on the front lines to do that. You can do it in a whole bunch of different ways. You don't have to go dedicate your life to working in Africa to do that. You can do that in your community. You can do that at like your kid's school. You can do it like, you know, you can do it in your church or your synagogue. Like, like, and the power of collective action is just, it's so massive. Like we all got together and, you know, have built this amazing country, you know, through the toil and, and sweat and of, you know, generations of Americans. We all contribute our taxes and build like amazing schools and infrastructure that is the envy of the world. Like, I mean, I know we all complain about it, but at the end of the day, I don't know, I travel around the world and I'm always very happy to come back to, you know, electricity 24 seven and like highways and subways and clean water and all that. It's an amazing, we, we are amazingly lucky. You know, that is that is such a great way to wrap this conversation up because I like to leave people with like practical mind shifts that we can start with as soon as you've heard this podcast. That is such a great way to wrap things up. I want you to share with us one last concept. You know, I always ask thought leaders like yourself, I know that you get up and you do it again day after day, despite what happened yesterday. And often there could be some discouragement there. If you would wave a magic wand and, and think to yourself, oh, if just everyone knew this, 
What do you wish everyone knew? Does it have to do with the, the power of collective work or what is it that, that you all wish we knew? I, I, wish, I wish people knew what a huge difference their small monetary contribution makes. There's a lot of ways to support charity work. We ask people to donate, to join our monthly giving program, which is called the spring and to donate $40 a month if they can afford it. And $40 helps one person. And at the end of the year, then you've helped 12 people get access to clean water. So it's a sacrifice for some people, but you think about what $40 represents to a family that's living on a dollar a day. I mean, it's like more than a month's worth of income, right? It's massive. And when you see the difference that it makes out there to one person, it's such a no-brainer. It's such a value proposition. And I wish, like we try so hard to bring that, the image of the return on your investment back to you through videos and pictures and stories and pins on the map and stuff like that. But man, when you see it firsthand and you see these people and like like they're there, it is like, I mean, you just want to cry because it's just so profound. Like 40 bucks does this? Are you kidding me? And so I wish that people could get there and like see these people are like your neighbors. They're like your cousins. They're like your family. And you would give them 40 bucks. Like you wouldn't even blink to give them 40 bucks. And so, and just think about one person, you can help 12 people in a year. If you can do more, like you can do more, but like, forget it, just help one person. Like it's amazing. Like it's profound. It all adds up, doesn't it? Oh, and that one person, who knows what that, you know, that one person, who knows what they're going to go on and do in their life. They could be an amazing artist or musician or scientist or doctor or save somebody's life sometime. It's just amazing. Like you think about the potential, it's very profound. Especially over the arc of time, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's huge. It like, it bends the arc of history, you know, like it has that potential. It has that potential. And I think about, we started Charity Water is very small. One step at a time, we've built a big organization. We've helped 15 million people. You think about like what those people and their kids and like the, the kids that have been born in those villages now who don't have dirty water, you know, that, that you know, the contribution of our community to the world is goes far beyond like 15 you know million people just not having to drink dirty water. You think about all the human potential that they're going to bring to it, the lives that are, that were not lost, that will go on to live happy lives. You can get pretty deep, pretty quick at the end of the day, like. We got a lot of people to give clean water to, and we um, we're we're grateful for everybody's uh, everybody's support. And so that's what I wish. I wish I get to see it firsthand, which is why like I'm so excited about it, and I'm still in it. You know, I'm in it. I've been in it for 20, 20 some years doing this kind of work, and I expect to be in it for a long time. But like when you when you step back and you you really think about the essence of what we're doing, it it goes far beyond just a glass of clean water. It's lovely. I'm so glad you came and spoke with us today. Tell us where people can connect. What's the quickest way to connect with Charity Water and do do whatever we feel like doing in our heart and what we can? Um, I would say, you know, just jump on our website, charitywater.org, or check us out on Instagram or Facebook. And, you know, the first step is just learn about us, learn about uh, what we're doing, learn about the water crisis. And, you know, we want you to come along for the journey. This isn't just like a one-stop thing. It's like, come along. We're going to do a lot of fun stuff together. Built an organization that we want to be part of. We're fun people. (laughs) We're hardworking people. We believe in a, you know, a better future. And we're looking for a few brave souls to join us. And there's a lot of them out there. Oh, and you know, that's a fact that I'd love to end this conversation on. You told me that Charity Water grew 70% from 2020 to 2021. Yeah. Well, we grew our programs. We grew our programs 20, 70%. So we, we, we were lucky to come into 2021 with a little bit of a surplus from 2020 because our fundraising campaign around Christmas 2020 was really good. So we started in a really good position, but 2020, our programs were, were, were a little bit down because of COVID. And then we, we almost were able to double. So we helped, we helped 2.1 million people last year in 2021. And the prior year, it was 
1.2 million people, something like that. So it's great. I mean, there's what we've built is the capacity to be able to, to, to help that many people. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people like 2.1 million people is a lot of people in one year. And we're just a little organization kind of at this leverage point between, you know, a couple hundred thousand really generous people and some great, great operators in the field. So. Yeah, well, there's a lot. There's so much to celebrate in your story. I can't thank you enough. I I, I hope we get to talk it again sometime. I, I hope so. Everything that Christoph mentioned is going to be in the show notes. We'll do really detailed show notes so that you can connect to his insights here and there. Thank you so much. Join us for all kinds of insights and inspiration like this at the Goodness Exchange. That's where you're going to see that it really still is an amazing world and we'll help you find your role in it. Okay, hopefully these connections will carry you through your week and you'll start seeing the kind of joy and wonder that Christoph and I have been talking about for the last hour. Thanks.